mean, think about it. I'm not against McDonald's, obviously. Like, I love me some fast food. If it was up to me, we'd eat McDonald's a lot more in my house. However, when I know that a meal is coming from Pete Yours Grill, I'm not going to McDonald's. I'm savoring, I'm saving my appetite, and I am pigging out there. And I share that because all of us, when I say think of your favorite meal, we would never, ever say, I would rather substitute McDonald's than my favorite meal. We would be, hey, there we go. We would be foolish to go through McDonald's on the way to our favorite restaurant to eat one of our favorite meals. And today, that's what we're going to see in the book of Colossians, that God, in his kindness towards us, is going to build on the idea that we saw last week, that we are to put to death these things, and this week we're going to see we should put on these things. Because here's our big idea today, right? Going with the, hey, don't eat this, eat this. Here's the big idea if you're taking notes. That you are not just called from bad things. You are called to better things. You are not just called from bad things. You are called to better things. There's nothing wrong with going through McDonald's drive-thru. I mean, you could maybe make the argument there is, but let's be honest, there's not. Come on, some, some of us just need McDonald's sometimes. But you would be foolish, you would be foolish to waste your appetite at McDonald's when you have a delectable, delicious meal waiting for you somewhere else. And so the big idea that we're going to see today is that you are not just called from bad things because so many times in Christianity, that's what we think it is. That following Jesus just means not doing bad things. That following God and to have a relationship with God, that it means that it is our duty. Yeah, he saved us, but now it's our duty and our responsibility to make sure that we do everything necessary for him to stay happy with us and to stay saved. And so we stay away from all bad things. And last week we saw, right, put to death, mortify, don't modify, mortify the sins of the flesh. That it is a good thing to stay away and to kill those terrible things. However, this week we're going to see God is not just calling us to mortify the flesh. He is calling us to put on the spirit. He's not just calling us from bad things. He is calling and inviting us to better things. And this is just one aspect that makes him the perfect father. Parents in the room, why do you not let your kids eat whatever they want at a young age? Like, why do you not just let your kid just eat on, on, a, on a diet of, of ice cream and candy and, and chips and, and whatever they want? I mean, I asked that. Emily won't let me do it. That's what I want. I'm like, God, oh, man. You know how many times at 11.30 p.m. I'm like, I, could, I would pay good money for a cookout milkshake right now. She's like, it's 11.30. You don't need it. And I'm like, I do need it. But I don't go get it. But parents, why don't you just let your kids eat whatever they want? Because you know that there's something better for them, right? Like, as a good parent, it's not that you don't like them, that you say, hey, no, this isn't going to be your diet. You say, because I love you so much, and because I know better, this is going to be your diet. This is what's going to strengthen you. This is what's going to nourish you. And so God, in his love and kindness towards us, does not just say, stop doing these things. He says, actually, because you're my child, I have something better for you. I have something better for you. So that's what we're going to see. Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, we have Bibles in the lobby. But this is what it says in Colossians 3. We only have a couple more weeks in Colossians. 
But this is what it says in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you are also to forgive. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but if you were in college or high school and on the first day you would receive the syllabus, right? And you would sit there as the teacher read through the syllabus. And, and I remember many times, uh, specifically in, in seminary, when me and Emily were in Wake Forest uh, and I was, I was doing a degree there, I remember looking at the syllabus and I would ignore everything the professor was saying. I would just flip to the back where it saw the course requirements. And I would look for one thing as a religion degree. How long does the paper have to be? How long does the paper have to be? Because honestly... Like, this class is going to be good, I'm sure, but I'm just going to get to the end and procrastinate and be like, do I need to write 14 pages in 48 hours or 12 pages? Or, or how long does it have to be? How many sources? What's the topic going to be? Is it a research paper or just a topical paper? And I remember looking at the syllabus, going over the expectations, and there would be this internal, ugh, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. I mean, yeah, I'm going to turn it in, get a C or a B, and move on with my life, but this is not going to be good. And honestly, that's the internal feeling I had just a little bit as I read this passage. Because as I read these verses, it's not that they're bad verses. But I just read things like put on compassion, gentleness, kindness, humility, and forgiveness and think, ugh, there is no way that I can do this. You see, this is an oh gosh moment for me. Like the paper in seminary, I would have to do it. I would. I'd get to it. I'd have to do it. I'd spend 48, 72 hours in the library, and I'd get it done. But this seems way more intimidating than that. As we get this command to put on these things, I look at this list, and I'm like, hmm, I don't know that I'm doing that. And let's just be honest today. If you know Adam, <laughs> maybe you would not say, yeah, Adam, oh, man, he's such a gentle soul. He's just so meek. I mean, I was playing Can Jam with my community group last week, the people that laughed were, on, were playing with me, so that's why they laughed. And I just want to win so bad. I couldn't care less about the people I'm playing with. I just want to win. In another community group, and this is just a shameless plug for groups. You should get in one. We would play this game called A to Z. Oh, God. And I had to apologize to the group beforehand because I'm like, look, most of this time I want you to see me as pastor. But this time, don't look at me as your pastor because you're going to be severely disappointed in my competitive nature as I'm yelling at my team answers that I know. And we would play that game. They actually, that group broke the board because you just hit the buttons too hard. And it's just like, it's just not good. So I read this list, right? And then I think, oh my gosh, there's people that can hear my voice that have done these things with me. And then not only can jam an A to Z, but then I think, oh my gosh, my wife is sitting over here. Is she putting Adam's name beside Patient, gentle, kind, compassionate. It's hard, guys. It's hard to put on these things. But here's what we know. By the Spirit, I am growing. I am growing in these things. Are you? You see, it might be intimidating because maybe you would look at this list to put on and you'd be like, I don't do any of that stuff. 
Or you'd be like, I was so angry this morning on the drive to church. But are you growing? Not perfection. Are you growing in these things? Do you want to grow in these things? You see, I want to have a life that looks like killing sin and growing in love, compassion, and gentleness. And while we look at a list like this, and maybe you're intimidated like I am, I want you to know this morning that the Lord is not done with you and he's not done with me. You see, that's why we have Sundays like Next Step Sundays, where we want to celebrate one another taking one small step at a time. Maybe you would look at this list and you would see the command, put on gentleness and kindness and compassion. And you think, man, I want to grow in kindness. Then why would you not join a serve team where every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. you're going to have the opportunity to be kind? And maybe you're going to fake it. I don't know. But you're not going to show up here and be a jerk. Now, you may have those Sundays where you feel like a jerk, and we still want you to be here. But what if you put yourself in an environment where you could hold the door for someone, and you could say, I want to grow in my kindness, and I just want to open the door for someone and say good morning. Maybe you want to grow in your compassion. Then why wouldn't you join a group with a, like a group of, of, of broken folks who are sharing their heart and saying, hey, this is where I've struggled this week. And you have an opportunity by the Spirit in that setting to say, brother, sister, I hear you, I love you, I'm with you. Do you want to grow in these areas? And are you putting yourself in places to grow in these areas? That's what we're going to be asking in a few weeks. What is your next step? Because we all want to be growing in these areas. We all want to do this. But back to the passage. Because I think, like me, you may look at this command to put on these things and be a little intimidated, or better yet, convicted that these things do not mark your life. And if that is you, don't miss this. Because while the, the passage started with put on these things, what he really starts with is something different. And I don't know if you noticed this, but time and time again throughout the book of Colossians, before Paul ever, ever, ever gives them a command, what does he do? He gives them a reminder. Before Paul ever says, do this, do that, do this, do that, he always starts with, here's who you are. Remember, here's who you are. And what do I mean? Look back down at verse 12. How did he really start this command? He says this, therefore, and we've seen this word, right? What's it there for? Building on last week, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, then he says, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Again and again and again and again in this letter, what he is telling the church is that identity precedes activity. As God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Do you know this morning that no one has stumbled into the faith? No one has just stumbled into the faith, woken up one morning and said, you know what, today I think I might come to saving faith in Christ Jesus. None of us have done that. And Paul is saying, start there with your identity, that you were chosen, that God saw you and he chose you. The spiritual word here, the theological word here is the doctrine of election. And it's this belief that before the world began, as Ephesians 1 tells us, 
God saw us and he chose us. And maybe this makes you uncomfortable because it rubs up against your free will. And I get it. We're Americans, so freedom, right? America. That's what we celebrate. And we think sometimes that if we don't have free will, then what does this mean for us? And we miss the doctrine of election because what we are seeing is a God who just puppeteers us instead of actually seeing a God who saw us, chose us, and loves us by the comfort in the doctrine of election. It's that God chose you before you were actually formed in your mother's womb and before he knew what he was buying. He actually knew what he was buying. Charles Spurgeon, who's called the Prince of Preachers, actually says this about the doctrine of election, that I promise God chose me before I was born because after I was born, there was nothing he would have done to choose me. There's nothing that good about me that if God saw me, he would have chose me. So certainly, he chose me before the world began. For example, I have a friend, literally. I said I have a buddy, and his name is Buddy. Uh, a friend in Kernersville that uh, waited 694 days for his Bronco. 694 days. I pulled into Kyle's Coffee the other morning, and I saw the state tag that he had on his truck. And I saw him coming out of the coffee shop. I said, did you get a new car? He said, yeah, man, I waited 694 days for that thing. And it is sweet. Like, it is lifted. It is loaded. It is, like, it is awesome. And he waited 694 days. He knew what he was getting, and what he got was sweet. And in a similar way, God purchased you before your time, and he's not regretting his purchase. And do you realize, do you realize this morning that you were not the loaded, lifted, sweet Bronco, but we are a piece of junk? Like, this isn't a self-deprecation talk right now. We're not trying to, to, to put anybody down. But do you just realize that God saw the Carfax of your soul? And it was like a little screwed up, a little cocky. It's going to be really, really competitive in Can Jam. And God saw that and still purchased it. Do you take comfort this morning that, as Paul says, as God's chosen ones, that he knew you and still chose you, that he saw your junk before you were junky and still said mine? That because of that good news today, we do not need to see ourselves as merely projects and screw-ups, but chosen, holy, dearly loved children of God. God knew exactly what he was getting into when he bought you with his son. And he's not regretting his purchase. Buddy waited 694 days for a sweet Bronco. He waited for it, and now he loves it, and he should. But God saw you in the junk that would go on in our heart. God saw you in all your imperfection and all your sin and all your ugliness and still said, I chose you. And before you Jesus juke me and think, well, if God chooses people, then why do we even preach? Well, it seems that the more we preach, the more people get chosen. So I don't know how all this stuff of, of, of free will and election and as we get to heaven, like, like how it will play out. But it just seems to me that as we preach the gospel, more and more people accept Christ and come under this chosenness. So we're going to keep doing that. Because we need to tell people, even if we were to open the hood of your life and it looks like junk, there is a God in heaven who loves you, as Paul says. And that he says you're not just chosen, but you're holy and dearly loved. Holy does not mean perfect. Holy means set apart. And so what he's saying is not that you're perfect. No, you're, you're actually far from perfect. But you were still chosen. And God has set you apart as dearly loved children. And people need to hear that 
message. Because so many times when it comes with God, people think it's just about do, 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 do. If I do this, do that. Don't do this, don't do that. And Paul is starting here that before you do anything, you need to know who you are. And this is the reminder of the Spirit that you are the chosen ones. You are the royal priesthood, as Peter tells us. You are citizens of a better kingdom. Once you were foreigners, once you were strangers, once you were outsiders, and now you are citizens of the kingdom is what Ephesians 2 tells us. The Spirit is reminding us identity always precedes activity. So before you put on anything, Citizens Church, you need to realize who you are. Because you don't get more humble than he chooses you. He chooses you and it humbles you. You don't get more compassionate, and then he says, oh, wait, you know, Adam, you're actually trying. I'll take you. God takes us, and by his spirit, we become more compassionate. We become more patient. We become more humble. We become more gentle. We become a people that forgive other people. And so today, if you need this reminder, when you're overwhelmed by this command like me, that I can't do this, God, I'm not gentle, I'm not patient, I think he would say, you're right. And you can't change your heart. Adam, you are right. There is nothing you can do tomorrow morning to make yourself humble. But there's nothing you could have done to change your identity either, and I'm handling that. And so by God's spirit, we are growing in these things, and he is clothing us in what he said in verse 12. And then I love this as we continue to read that God in his cosmic humor puts a bunch of people together that are prideful, mean, spiteful, and rude and says church. God takes a bunch of people who are intimidated by this list and he says church because what does he say after this? Verse 13, let's look at it. Bearing with one another. So this means that these commands to put on these things come in a communal aspect. Remember, he's writing to a church. He's not writing to one person. He's telling a community to put on these things, not just one person. And so he's saying all these people who get it wrong, <laughs> and he knows that because he gets it wrong too. I love that he says this in verse 13, and bearing with one another. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another. You know what he just said? Hey, this call to put on compassion and kindness, you're not going to get it right. So when someone doesn't get it right and they really, really do you wrong, you need to bear with one another and forgive them. And we think, well, how do we forgive them? And Paul says, I'm glad you asked. Forgive one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you are also to forgive. And then verse 14, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. He isn't waiting for your community to get perfect as if it could. He isn't waiting for that. Instead, he is telling a group of messed up people, a group of broken people, a group of people who are not always patient, who are not always kind, who are not always gentle, who do hurt one another. And he's saying, by the Spirit, bear with one another in this and remember your identity in Christ so that so that over time, one small step at a time, by the Spirit, by your studying God's word, which we'll get to, it produces 
a spirit of humility, gentleness, compassion, forgiveness, etc. And so the question for us today is how do we grow in these things? How do we grow in these things? I think we want to, right? And I think what we can't miss is the communal aspect of this passage. And this is just what I wrote in my notes. And, and, and maybe this will help you as well. You grow in these things by joining a community that encourages these things. Like we see this in the passage. It's almost like to grow in humility, you need to get into a group of people that are not humble. And grow together by the fruit of the Spirit. Adam, are you not compassionate? Then you need to get in a group of people and rub shoulders with them. And maybe their compassion will rub off on you. Or maybe they will stab you in the back. And then you will get the opportunity to see kindness and compassion play out in your life as you forgive them. How do you grow in these things? You don't grow in these things by throwing yourself on an island. You grow in these things by getting into a community that encourages these things. You don't join a community that perfects these things. And if you're looking for that perfect community here, you will severely be let down. That's what we say in our partnership class. At the end of every membership class we do, in which we call partnership, we give you five reasons not to join. There are five reasons why you should not be a member here. And one of them is if you are looking for a perfect community of people who will never let you down, this is not the church for you. It's just not. I know. It's sad, but it's true. Citizens Church is a place for the sick, broken, and sinful. Like, we are not for the perfect. We're just not. We are a group of people who are fully and utterly dependent on the Spirit. We are dependent on God to do something, or else we can't do anything. We're not a place of perfection, but we're growing together. And we're going to encourage these things in one another, stirring each other to good works, as Scripture says. We're growing in these things, guys. We are. And why do we want to grow in these things? Verse 14 tells us because it's love to do so. Above all, put on love. You know what's true about true love? You need someone to, like, like someone by themselves can't actually dish out or receive love. Like for me to experience love, what do I need? I need someone else in my life to love me. So we need to be around one another. You can't love people if you're not with people. You can't experience love from people if you're not with people. You need other parties to be around you for you to experience love. And he says that put on love because this is the perfect bond of unity. Man, we want the gospel to so enrich the lives of the people here that when we rub shoulders with one another, yeah, we get it right sometimes, but man, we get it wrong other times. But we're so enriched with the gospel that our love is preserving our community and one another. That when I am not patient towards you or gentle towards you, and you are not patient or gentle towards me, that love conquers all. And that by the Spirit, we would be a community, as Paul says, that bears with one another, that forgives one another. And that may look different. You may forgive someone and never come back into contact with them. You may bear with one another when someone severely hurts you and you need to take a step back and the relationship needs to take a break. That is true. 
And you can still put on love, you can still put on forgiveness, and that be true. That may be your circumstance. But maybe today that's not your circumstance, and you bearing with one another needs to look like a text to someone. Or this week in group, you need just apologize for not being gentle with what you said last week or with what you did. We want the gospel to so enrich our lives that even when we get it wrong, the love of the Father is preserving us. And so what we have seen is that God is not just calling us. The Lord is not just calling us to kill things. He's telling us to put on things. He's telling us that as we mortify the flesh and as we kill the things that are trying to kill us, that we also by the Spirit are putting on love, compassion, forgiveness, gentleness, kindness, and humility. That he is calling us to these better things. And then he says this in verse 16 and 17 as we close. And I don't know if you noticed this, but he ended verse 15 with this little phrase, and be thankful. Two more times in the remaining verses, he's going to give that attitude. Let's look back down at it, 16 and 17, where we end today. After telling this body, this group of people, to put on these things, this is what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We want to be a place that encourages these things. How do you grow in these things? You get into a body that encourages these things. How do we encourage these things? Not through a five-step program. It's just not a five-step program here. It's the simple formula of what Paul just said. As you are bearing with one another, as you are forgiving one another, as you are in community with one another, this is what you must do. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you and sing spiritual songs. If I could put it like this, our sermon in a sentence is this as we gather together, that our main goal is to turn our attention in thankfulness towards our God in heaven. That's what Paul is saying do. As you gather together, as you rub shoulders with one another, as you grow step by step, small step by small step in these things, and you're putting on the spirit, and you're putting on these things that God is calling you to, what you are to do is to open the word together, sing songs together, turning your gaze to your Father in heaven, as gratitude flows from your spirit. What does the word do? It turns our attention to the Lord. Why do we preach the Bible? Number one, I'm not smart enough to preach anything else. Number two, nothing gives life like these words. We are totally and utterly dependent on this word to bring our soul to life. That's why we do it. What songs do we sing and why? I was so proud of the girls that lead each week here. Like, I didn't tell them to pick songs from Scripture. They do it. I don't say, hey, can we read John 15 as we open this song? They just did it. Because we want to sing songs that what? Point us back to our master in heaven. Whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, is it from Scripture? Then sing it, I think Paul would say. Sing it. Why do we come to the Lord's table every week? Because it draws our attention. 
It draws our attention to the Lord in heaven. It draws our attention to the dependence that we have on him. We need him. We just sing the song, I depend on you. I depend on you. And like I said, three times at the end of verse 15 and two more times in 16 and 17, Paul expresses this attitude that we have to have a thanksgiving. That above all, because we are God's holy and chosen ones, and because we get to, not have to, but because we get to be in a community of other broken people, and because we get to sing songs, and because we get to open the word, and because we get to grow in wisdom, what does Paul say? This should produce in you gratitude. This should produce in you thanksgiving. You should be thankful of all these things. When we understand the gospel, the good news this morning, that Jesus himself has purchased you on the cross, that when he pushed up on his nail-pierced feet and said, it is finished, that it counted for you. And that as he went to the grave and then resurrected over death, hell, and the grave, and as he resurrected and in a resurrected body showed himself to the disciples and then uh, ascended back into heaven where he is at right now, as we understand that, it can't produce anything other than thankfulness. Gratitude. And so what we want to do as we turn our attention and thankfulness towards our God in heaven is we want to stay in this posture that exposes our minds and heart to Christ Jesus. Because here's what happened, guys. It's not perfect, but it happens. As we keep our gaze on the Lord, who is the main thing, why we gather here this morning is not for any other reason than to worship God. As we do that, the discrepancies in one another begin to fade. And what we begin to see is, man, Adam is growing in gentleness. Bethany is growing in compassion. Man, that person that opened the door, like, like Gerald opened the door for me this morning, that was really kind of him. You see, what we begin to see is how the Lord is working in everybody else. We begin to see, man, there are small steps of the Spirit working in people. And so as he says, put on these things, it's like, man, this actually works as we rub shoulders with one another. That it's cosmic humor that you would put a bunch of people who are prideful in the same thing and say, hey, this is church. But God, you know what you're doing. And as we come together and turn our attention through songs and through the Lord's Supper and through the preaching of the word, we actually begin to grow together and see kindness and love in one another. Are you thankful for that this morning? As I invite the girls back up to lead us in a couple more songs, I just wrote this in my notes. Am, am I thankful? <laughs> am I thankful as I read this passage? Is gratitude something that is flowing from my heart? <laughs> is gratitude flowing from my lips and my actions? Not because I have to be in this community, but because I get to be in community with people. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Does that mark our church? I mean, that's it. Preach the Bible, sing songs. Worship with one another. And does that produce gratitude in your heart? 
something I'm asking myself. And so during this next song, if there is something in your heart and you know it is not gratitude, if there is a grievance in your soul this morning, then during this song, we're going to have a prayer time and and, and I will be back there. I will not just be back there um, offering prayer. I will be back there receiving prayer. We have a prayer team every week that stands back there. And so if there's something in your soul and you're like, man, I need to get this right. And that's your small step. Then then we will be back there. And like I said, I will be receiving prayer. And then we're going to come together to the Lord's table as we do every single week. And the communal aspect of this meal that I love, and and this is why we sing out uh, or read out of Mark. Because Mark tells us that after they did this, what did they do? They, they prayed and they sang spiritual songs and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. Like the response of this is to sing and that's what we're gonna do. Like the response of this is to sing hymns and spiritual songs and, 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 and what Paul just said in Colossians. And we get to do it together. Like you don't have to do it alone. You get to do it with us. I get to do it with you. And so that's what we're gonna do. And so we're gonna pray and, and as I say amen, we're gonna have... Uh, some guys and girls in the back that are ready to pray for you, that are ready to pray for me. And, uh, and we're gonna sing these spiritual songs together. We've just heard the word. And then we're gonna sing. So Father, thank you for who you are. And our only response to who you are is gratitude, is thankfulness. We don't have much, but we got that. And Father, I thank you for this community. I thank you for this community that does not get it right. And as we don't get it right all the time, we see evidence of the gospel in forgiveness and patience anyways and gentleness anyways and compassion and kindness. We get to see the faith worked out in the way that we treat one another. And so God, today I pray that we would be killing sin and putting on the spirit. That like a warm coat, we would be putting on gentleness and compassion that we would be putting on whatever we do, that we would do it in gratitude and thankfulness. And so I I pray, I pray for this community, my community, that I get to be a part of. That while we don't get it right all the time, that we would love one another, forgive one another. That we would keep rubbing shoulders with one another, that we would get in group, that we would serve that we would be at each other's tables and that above all we would put on love which is the perfect bond of unity unify us today by your love unify us today by your word by your songs 